This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 135 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Broadcast recently interviewed Sam Folds, who is an Anglican curate who oversees two church plants in Manchester. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you a part of that interview, where Sam talks about how he manages his busy schedule, and also a Q&A with Sam from that session. You can find the full notes on everything that Sam says at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 135. So here is Sam Folds. Yeah, no, great question. Um, the short answer is I'm not sure that I do. Um, it's, it is a challenge and actually I've really struggled with this and it's something I'm, I'm working through. But perhaps if I could just share a, a couple of reflections and, and lessons that I'm learning. And I guess the first one is really to have a clear sense of, of what we're called to and actually how that looks in the diary. I can remember a vicar friend of mine saying, you know, we're not called uh, as leaders to be uh, professional friends. Uh, you know, as Christian leaders, we're calling people to follow Jesus into his freedom and life. And so, so what, is our, what is our calling is something we need to ask. And I guess for me, you know, as a leader, I'm called to equip the saints for works of ministry, Ephesians 4. And as an Anglican vicar called to a preaching and sacramental ministry, uh, and so that, that is my calling in very broad terms. But, but I guess I need to ask, what does that look like in the diary? Um, and that's the question we need to ask. You know, we're limited in capacity. And if we're not careful, we can end up giving ourselves to things that we perhaps shouldn't be giving ourselves to. So I, you know, it works for me this. It may not for others, but I've come up with a way of, of putting my calling into the diary and into ways that I can remember, which give me focus and it's around three Ds and four, four Ps, you know, three Ds, which are devotion to, so I want to be about devotion to Jesus as worked out in Acts 2, you know, through prayer, breaking the bread, apostles teaching, fellowship, all done in the context of church life. I want to be about discipling others, you know, recognize that I can't do more than Jesus. So I'm asking, who are my three that I'm really investing in? My 12, my, my 40, 70 crowds, if you like. And also I want to be about developing leaders and I, and I largely do that through the REAP course. So those are my kind of three Ds. That's, I want to be about those things, devotion to Jesus personally and encouraging that in others through those things in Acts 2. I want to be about discipling others, teaching people to obey the commands of Jesus and developing leaders. So that, that's one kind of way I, I keep my time focused. And I know you might say those are quite big things, but it helps me. And then the four Ps is another way, you know, prayer, people, preparation, and pisteos, which is the Greek for truth, just because I wanted to keep more Ps. Um, and that helps me to focus in, you know, I want to be about prayer and take that seriously and let that be a big part of my, my diary. And I want to be about people. And, you know, the the people that God's called into my life want to be about preparation, sermon prep, meetings and teachings and and pisteos. You know, I want to be about, uh, for me, that's about reading and and writing and researching. So that's just another thing that helps me focus my my calling. It works for me. It might not make sense for for anyone else. (laughs) Um, 
but those things actually help me to, to be able to say no to stuff. If, if it kind of doesn't fit within those things, it, it helps me to say no to stuff, even good things that might be worth doing. And then the second thing, so, so the first thing being having that clear sense of what we're called to and, and actually how that looks in the diary. Uh, the second thing I found that I desperately need is order and pattern in life. That might seem an odd answer to the question, like how do you give yourself fully? Well, I need an order and pattern to life, and I've kind of alluded to that already. Um, and we see, you know, Genesis 1, God's a God of order, pattern and habit, and I think we're creatures of habit. Jesus in Luke 22 talks about how we went out as usual. In Luke 4, it talks about how he went to the synagogue as was his custom. So he had these habits in, in place. And, and uh, so I have what, what Mike Breen actually calls predictable patterns and that help root me in the Lord and focus me on him before all of the things that I have to do. So rest days are important and having breakfast and dinner with my family and, and prayer mornings. But perhaps, and, and this has been a key one for me, perhaps the most important habit for me is what many would know as is, is the daily quiet time. Um, and that's absolutely key for me. That the first thing I do before thinking about anything else that I've got to do is to be with the Lord. As George Muller said, you know, my, my, my great and primary business, which I, I have to attend to every day, is to have my soul happy in the Lord. And so that's so important for me. But I've been thinking a lot over the last few months about actually what we think is going on with our morning devotions. I read a quote from Bonhoeffer, which he was talking about the Lord's Prayer, which, of course, we are to pray daily. And he said that left to ourselves, we only ever pray the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. That's give us today our daily bread. And, and he's right. It's so easy, isn't it, in the morning to kind of wake up and think, what are all the things that I've got to do? But actually, there's three other lines that we need to pray before give us today our daily bread. You know, we pray our Father in heaven. You know, we're to remember that, that he's our Father and our identity is found in him. And that he's in heaven and that it's him who's in control. And we're, we're to pray, hallowed be your name, Lord. Would you, would you be seen to be holy in all that I do today? That what I do would be about you and not about me. And then we pray your kingdom come and your will will be done as earth as it is in heaven. You know, that, that today wouldn't be about my will, but, but, but yours. And I want to see your kingdom breaking in today in all that I do. So perhaps that, that lesson there is about perspective, about looking up at the start of each morning before looking out or before looking in. And I guess for me, you know, I, I'm only ever to do, able to do all that I'm called to. Uh, if I'm looking to the Lord first, and I guess even though I, I, I fail in so many ways, and I do what I do each day by God's grace in my weakness. So I hope some of those things are, are helpful. Perhaps it's just for me, um, but those are some some thoughts. The first one is um, about the church plants. So we've been talking about two church plants. Yeah. In your context, when will these church plants become established churches? Ah, well, good question. Actually, to be honest, although we've been, we have used the, the term church plants quite a bit uh, tonight, I uh, don't really refer to them as church plants normally. Uh, I just refer to them as, as churches. 
I think churches are planted and then become churches. <laughs> um, so, so maybe it's actually unhelpful to, to refer to them as church plants. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and then the follow-up question to that then is, um, have you got any more in the pipeline? So are you intending to, to plant more churches? And um, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the vision is really uh, to, to, to keep on planting. I mean, Platt have, Holy Trinity and Platt have been great over the years of, 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 of really giving of themselves to the planting movement. So, you know, 10 years ago, given this bunch of people to start the first TCC and then that TCC multiplied into two. And then last year, Platt sent a team of 50 to revitalise the church in Heaton Norris. And they've got plans to keep on doing that. And we want to be the same. We want to have that same generous heart that that we give of the best of, you know, uh, of us. And uh, so we want to. So one thing we're doing at the moment is just supporting other church plants. So we have people that kind of move from from our plants to other church plants, and we want to serve in that way. Um, but also, yes, we, we want to, to keep planting. Um, but I guess the focus for us at the moment is trying to just dig some deep roots in, in the churches we've got right now and develop leaders uh, that are able to go on and, and, and plant the next churches. Yeah, very good. Um so this is a slightly different kind of question, but you're talking about a, a hard graft maturity that comes from suffering. Um, yeah. That suffering component um, yeah. and leadership, um, there's kind of a vulnerability to it. How yeah. do you do vulnerability well as a leader? How do you share your sufferings with your people in, in ways that help and don't overburden them? Yeah, I think that's really difficult. Um, and I'm not sure I do it very well. Um, I think, you know, being vulnerable um, comes when you're, in relate, when you're in relationship. And, you know, one of the challenges for me overseeing two churches is, is how do you get that depth of relationship that you'd get overseeing one church? Um, you know, uh, or maybe you'd get that a bit quicker. So I'm having to work quite hard in trying to get to know people um, when I maybe see some people only once a month, uh, if they're not there when I'm there one week, you know, because I alternate between the two. Um, but I think, you know, it needs to, as a leader, it needs to come out in our, in our preaching. Um, I think, you know, uh, um, it's tempting when you're preaching to always kind of apply from a distance, but actually just showing how it's working out in your own life sometimes is, is, is helpful. I think also, you know, I, I do think um, the whole idea of confession in the church, you know, we're actually told in James to confess your sins to one another. And I think um, it's that we've almost lost that as a church. I'm speaking quite generally. I think, though, that creating a culture where we can actually be open about what's really going on in our lives is where I want to be. And I think you have to model that. But um, society is is one where mass, lots of masks are up, you know, and on Instagram and on all the social media networks, we, we put up all the good stuff going on in life and what we want people to see about us. But actually, church should be a place where we're so free and open to, to, to confess what's really going on in our lives. That kind of culture, I do wonder, takes time and a depth of relationship that can't be achieved, I don't think, by just gathering together for an hour on Sunday, but creating that culture of a church where you're meeting 
constantly. Um, so short answer, I'm not sure I do it very well. Uh, long answer, uh, I, do, I would like to be creating a culture of that kind of vulnerability and confession under grace um, and, and trying to model that through preaching and conversation. Brilliant. Um, thank you. So it's a question about um, leading through others. Um, how do the members of the churches relate to you? Is there a temptation to try and bypass the lay leaders who kind of leading with you to get to you as the professional minister? Hmm. Good question. I think that can be a problem. Um, I think what we... Um, trying to work hard on is communication so communicate and, and I think again we need to grow in this uh, communicating the structures communicating the roles communicating expectations and um, so, so I think really around that yes it, it could be a problem um, but I think communication is absolutely key there um, there's a question about the four P's, um, particularly the fourth P, which was the Greek word. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is the word and how do you spell it? Is it pathos? No, uh, no, although that is another good word. Uh, so it's actually p- pisteos. It's me trying to sound clever, actually, but it, it, was, it was more to try and keep it to four P's <laughs> and to help it stick for me. Um, so it's P-I-S-T-E-O-S, pisteos. And it just means truth, but I think or creed, you know. Very good. Um, <laughs> you spoke at the start about um, coming into a new setting that you didn't start yourself, taking time to listen and learn. Um, you've been there, what, eight or nine months now? Um, is there an example of something that you came in and saw something you wanted to change? And hmm. how did you go about making that change? And how did you go? Hmm. Good question. Well, the, I think there's a really interesting thing underlying that question around change, because actually uh, coming in, the, there might have been lots of things that I would like to change. Um, but, but actually, I needed to do that work of actually assessing my heart there. What, what do I want to change? So, for example, you might want to say, well, music choice. Uh, I'm kind of like, I was brought up a Methodist actually, and so I was brought up on, on the Wesley's hymnal, and I love the old hymns. Um, and, uh, you know, because we're in a sort of context here where it's certainly one church, 50%, uh, speak very little English, we've made a really great decision to keep songs simple and not so wordy. Uh, obviously, we still want good content. Um, so, so I think that's an interesting one where I would come in and a natural preference in me would say, oh, I would love like, you know, and can it be or things like that, which just actually wouldn't work for our context. So maybe a, a, a fine change, but actually quite a, probably a selfish one. Um, <laughs> so assessing my heart when it comes to change. And, and actually, I think one of the things, like I was sort of trying to say, I don't think as leaders that uh, we should be too quick to kind of come in with the iron fist and, and change things. I think it's really taken that time from from the start to understand what 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 decisions have been made uh, and, and why. And then I think only now I'm probably at the point where we can say, okay, right, what do we need to 
to, to you know change or whatnot. Yeah, great. Um, quite a broad question next, but what are the most important elements of the church life? Oh, brilliant question. Brilliant question. Um, well, we've actually just done a series. In January, we worked through Acts 2, and where it talks about the church and uh, was devoted to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, prayer, and the fellowship. And what's important about those four things is it's in the context of the proclamation of the gospel from Peter. So Peter's just said, you know, Jesus is risen. So he's just basically said, like, look at Jesus's devotion to, to, to humanity, that he's prepared to go to death and back for you. And, you know, of course, people hear that gospel proclamation and many are added to the church life. And so church starts with Jesus and what he's done for us. And of course, our devotion to him uh, is a response to his devotion to us uh, and flows from it. So there's those four things which, you know, are key for us. Prayer, breaking of bread, which I think really is about communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, but as well letting that meal spill into our regular meals. So we do want to be a church that, that eats together as much as possible. And um, I've done a lot of thinking on the Lord's Supper and actually uh, it's uh, discipling and missional, um, uh, um, what's the word, uh, um, the way that it's effective actually for, for discipleship and, and, and mission, but we won't go into that now. Um, apostles teaching, which is around uh, scripture, you know, we want to be reading, studying, living scripture. And, and then a fellowship, you know, we want to be a church where nobody is in any need and we're sharing life with one another. So I'd say those four things are a good start. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, I'd be fascinated to, um, to pick your brain about the communion stuff at some other point. And, um, having some of the things. antidote to modern Gnosticism, I'll just throw that out there. Wow. Wow, that's <laughs> a, a tweetable quote. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, someone has um, put in the questions, kind of just, um, can you elaborate a little bit? Um, so it does sound like there's some interest there. Um, could you give us just maybe a couple of minutes on your thinking about how it shapes discipleship and mission? Communion? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, let's talk mission, and I'll just expand on that, uh, the Gnosticism thing. So uh, Gnosticism was a, an ancient heresy, which, uh, I mean... It was, it was a group of sects, but one of the things they believed was that matter is bad, material is bad, and spirit is good. And so salvation for the Gnostics was about escaping the body and, you know, going into the light or whatever. Uh, and of course, and, and actually, many theologians now arguing that, that we're seeing Gnosticism, sort of a pseudo-Gnosticism, all over the place, this kind of apathy or even hatred of the body. And um, so, we, we, you know, we might argue that we see it in subtle ways in social media. I mean, even now you could argue what we're doing. You know, it's not it's face to face in one way, but we're not uh, present in body. And um, but no, I won't I won't say that this is Gnosticism because uh, <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> um, but but of course, you know, in debates around sexuality, where actually my body doesn't matter um, and, and, and quite serious um, issues, uh, pastoral issues around around, around self harm and things like that, and um, but but there's all sorts of and, and communion comes in, doesn't it? As this amazingly materialistic 
thing that the church does, where we're together uh, in body, eating bread, drinking wine together. And it reminds us of the incarnation of Christ. It reminds us because Jesus, when he has the, the Last Supper, he thinks about the, the future meal that he was gonna ha- he's going to have with us in the kingdom of God. And of course, we're not going to heaven forever in a bodiless existence. We're, we're gonna, our future is a, a, a new creation where we'll have new bodies, very lots of material. And so, so actually, the church, one of the big things that we do is to say materiality is, is good, um, you know, eating together is good. Being present bodily together is good. And I think that's amazingly good uh, uh, missionally for the church. And of course, Anglicans, we pray after the Lord's Prayer. I don't know what, what you guys do. Um, but we say, you know, Lord, send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. So we've had this meal from the Lord and been reminded of all this great theology and you know, enjoyed this, this physical thing that's going on. And then we're sent out into the world with that. And so that's one example off the top of my head <laughs> um, of, of the missional uh, purpose of communion. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's one thing I'd say. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Um, just kind of then, so a follow-up question to the one before, talking about the important elements of church life. Um, so apostles teaching, breaking of bread, prayer and fellowship. Um, yeah. I presume that would be true in... Uh, in all of the churches that you are involved with. Um, I presume it looks a bit different in the different contexts. Um, could you share a bit about how how in practice living these things out is different within each of the, the different settings? Mm, that's, that's a really, really great question. Um, hmm. I mean, of course, just just very basically the way that we um, practice these things. So prayer um you know uh, diff- different prayer gatherings and, and different ways of, of of doing that um and uh, you know one of the the church plants is uh well, actually no to be i was going to say in one there's a culture of kind of praying out loud and there's a congregation and service but actually we're, we're they're both doing that to, to be honest um yeah i mean it's a good question i have to think about that on the, off the top of my head I mean, talk fellowship. Um, you know, in one of the congregations, we've got a situation where we've got lots of, of asylum seekers and refugees. Um, and, you know, with, with that become, comes quite difficult challenges with regards to fellowship. Like if we genuinely want to be the kind of church where there's no one in need, um, you know, where everyone's kind of housed and, and fed and clothed and and... Um, and, and all of that, um, you know, that that's a, a big commitment in, in that church. And so that's something we're working through in one of the church contexts in particular. So that, that's not so much of an answer, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask you, Kev, just a couple of questions to finish up with. We're near the end of the time. Um, maybe could you just share with us over the, the last eight months or so, what would you say is the biggest encouragement that you found in your ministry and hmm. uh, what's the the biggest challenge you, you think you're facing going forward biggest encouragement um i would say 
seeing people become Christians. But but not only that, obviously we've seen people become Christians in the last eight months and we've baptised people. But actually just seeing that Jesus is on the move all around the world. And, you know, we've got people from Kurdistan who've met Jesus. We've got people from Iran who've met Jesus. New Zealand, China, Singapore, Malaysia, you know, all over the place. Um, and here in Britain as well. And it's very, it's very easy to kind of be, you know, have despair and despondency at the state of the church in this, in this country. And of course, we want to pray for revival uh, and we should be praying for revival in this country. But Jesus is on the move all over the world and particularly in the Middle East where we're seeing great revivals. Uh, and he's actually bringing people there to us to help us, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Um, so you have um, an audience of church planters or people interested in church planting before yeah. you. Um, you've got 30 seconds for one parting thought, encouragement, piece of advice. What would you want? Yeah. What, what would you want us all to take away from this and take to heart? Yeah. Thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> Well, I, I think it's around that vision of Jesus. I, I, I do honestly think, and I say this to myself, that we have too small a vision of Jesus. Read the first three verses of Hebrews and ask yourself, is your vision of Jesus that big? That he's the one who made everything, that he's the one who right now sustains everything that we breathe right now because he allows it. And actually, he's the one whom the whole universe is heading towards. And so is our vision of Jesus big enough? Is it worth living for, suffering for, dying for? Because it should be. And is our vision of Jesus that we're holding forth to people, the people in our churches and the people in our communities, is it that Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 size vision of Jesus? Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Sam says at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 135. See you next time.